This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. Welcome to today's episode. Today we have an awesome guest. His name is Jesse Funk. And I was in the process of putting his bio together, but it was way easier to just read it from his website because he's been doing some pretty cool stuff and has a pretty good message in his bio. So here goes. So in 2016, Jesse was just deep into training to fulfill his dream of becoming a professional triathlete. There's people who say they want to do something, but then there are those who are actually going to do something about it. And Jesse was the latter. While enjoying his endless hours of training, including six to seven hours of swimming a week, he actually developed a rash on his skin from the pool. It was then he realized that while he was training to be in the best physical shape, he could be in that chemicals like chlorine in our environment are still having a negative impact on us. So being someone who really wants to do something about a problem, he set out to create a natural product to deal with chlorine. Thus, Solpre's Swimline was born. And in 2017, he introduced the now best-selling all-natural fungus-fighting bar soap called Shield Soap, and then the Shield Line was born. But more importantly, after a crash during an Ironman 70.3, Eagleman in 2018 left his collarbone shattered and requiring surgery, his dream to become a professional triathlete was set aside. But when one door opens, another closes. And then he launched his new business. So Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ken. So tell us a little bit about Jesse Funk. Tell us a little bit about your, you know, sort of trip and journey to where you are now. I mean, you, you know, you got the kind of the Cliff Notes highlights version um, from the Soul Pre website. Um, but I mean, I've been, I've been a competitive athlete for nearly 20 years now. Um, I started running when I was 12. I mean, really, if you started say I started running when I was a kid. Um, doing youth sports, soccer, softball, those kind of things. Um, and that experience as a kid was kind of the genesis to doing my own thing um, because I played two seasons of soccer and I played two seasons of softball. And of those four teams, we won zero games. Um, so <laughs> I, I ended up, you know, and I'm competitive. So I think that not necessarily a conscious thing, but early on decided, Hey, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. So, you know, I, I did karate and I did boy scouts and I ran and um, a lot of very kind of individual type efforts and they all have their team aspects to them. um, But very much was, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to get it accomplished, whatever it is I'm after um, know that I'm going to rely on me. Um, so, you know, I ran uh, in high school, I ran on scholarship in college and coming to the end of college, it just didn't feel like I was done. I, I still wanted to compete and I knew I wasn't good enough to be a professional runner, only running like high 15 minute kind of 5k, which is fast for average Joe, but is uh, turtle slow as far as professionals are concerned. You know, you need to be low 14s, high 13s, which is worlds and worlds and worlds away from from where I was um so 
because I'm generally pretty good at anything you throw me into generally above average. I said, well, let's try triathlon and see if being above average in three different sports can make me, you know, kind of cream of the crop. I uh, spent eight years on that adventure. Um, I met some very wonderful people. Uh, I spent some time with the collegiate recruitment program from USA triathlon at the time led by Barb Lindquist um, has since been taken over by, Oh, I forgot his name. I'm sorry. Um, it'll come to me anyway, learned a lot from them. Um, I met some of the kind of current top pros, uh, made a lot of good friends and then to kind of aid that wanting to be a professional athlete, um, I had to figure out, well, how do I make a living, right? Graduate from college. I had offers to do, um, you know, job recruitment, $60,000, $70,000 jobs out of college, which a lot of people would have been happy with. And I declined those to work in a shoe store and make nine bucks an hour, just trying to, you know, give myself time to train and be, you know, what I wanted to be. Um, so through that kind of came, uh, figuring out, Hey, I need to figure out how to build something on my own so I can move out of my parents' house, you know, have my own place, kind of live my own life, fund all of the traveling that's required to race triathlon, whether you're trying to become a professional or not. Um, and so I went through a series of companies, I would say, uh, depending on how you count it, somewhere between 10 to 12 different um, ideas got tested. Some were moderately successful before I finally kind of got something that bit. Um, and then actually that's started before Solpre, which we've talked about, which I started a year, year or two after that other company. So um, I still run both of them concurrently while training essentially still full time, um, although in reduced hours now. Nice. No, and go and talk to us about, you know, being an entrepreneur as well, right? A lot of, a lot of athletes sort of go down that road of, hey, I need to rely on myself versus relying on others. I loved what you said there. It's very similar to me. I was never a good ball sports person. And I love individual sports because you, you're, <laughs> you hold yourself accountable and you're the right. only one that can really, you know, answer those questions and the clock doesn't lie, right? There's no, mm -hmm. there's nothing subjective. It's, Hey, I got to go out there and I got to lay it down. And I think though there's a lot of crossover into entrepreneurship with that. So talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, it, it, sometimes I wonder, um, I wonder how, how much it's nature versus nurture, you know, in your interests, um, entrepreneurship in general, um, and I wonder that because for the longest time growing up, I, I try, I guess I should back up a little. I try to live with this um, idea of naive optimism where, you know, you don't necessarily try to think about all the things that can go wrong. You just kind of pile ahead and say, well, these are all the things that can go right. And I tend to project that onto other people. Now I've learned just through life that not everybody has the motivation that I have. Um, so I wonder sometimes, you know, how much just genetically who we are makes that up. And I say that in part because um, my mother told me a story about myself. I don't recall um, about when I was a little kid, we're talking like elementary age, maybe second or third grade. 
I'd made a bunch of drawings and I guess I was like going around to the neighbors trying to sell my drawings to the neighbors. And, you know, and then there was later on fifth grade, there was like a, a model city kind of thing we did where different kids would have different shops. And I like had a candy shop. Obviously parents are like buying stuff for you or you're crafting things to bring into school. And so I, I ran this candy shop for this model city and you know, you have fake currency, you use that fake currency to buy other things. And it's a little town. I didn't spend my currency on anything because I wasn't interested in anything. Thinking about delayed gratification, you know, how it's not like a, a, a fifth grader is thinking about like, Oh, these, these fake, you know, these fake dollars, puck bucks, actually they were, they were hockey themed for some reason. Um, I'm not thinking, Hey, I can use these for something. It's just like, none of these things I'm not interested in any things like I'm interested in I guess the time just selling the candy and, and making the transaction but not so much interested in like actually spending so some of those things if you look back at that age almost seem inherent my parents didn't my parents are frugal but it's not like they modeled entrepreneurship for me my father was a teacher my mom works at a print shop um so in some ways, I almost think it's a kind of an innate path that just sits well with me, that that's something along with that individual sense of, hey, I'm going to go do my own thing where I figure out, let's do this. And then it really all comes together, uh, and like for many people, kind of with the four-hour work week, where you're thinking about not just, hey, let's have a four-hour work week, but let's think outside of the paradigm that we're taught that you work from nine to five or eight to five for most people or now eight to six or whatever it, you know, that's your work day. You work 40 hours a week, you put it in, you go home. Well, what if you want a life different than that? So I, I'm a big believer that you, it's not always a question of you can have this or this. I think there are a lot of times you can say, you can have both, but you do have to think creatively about how to do that and not necessarily take the wisdom of everybody else. So that's all together kind of what led me down that entrepreneurship path when I'm trying to achieve an athletic dream, trying to move out and do my own thing. How do I accomplish that? Well, if I'm in charge of my own destiny, if I'm in charge of my own business, I set my hours, I can go work out when I need to, get work in when I need to, um, and I don't have anybody to tell me otherwise besides the customer so and, and talk about that right are you still training are you still you know racing a, you know triathlon T talk to us a bit about that yeah so um you know i had the, the crash in in 2018 um which was i mean it, it, i don't even know if i can describe the, the depths of how um crushing it was it was brutal because, you know, I'd, I'd spent so many hours, so many years, days just grinding and grinding and grinding. And it is, you know, there are, even on my show, uh, the Smart Athlete Podcast, I talk to professional triathletes. And some of them I talk to, they're like, oh, I never did a triathlon before. And I just started. And then two years later, I was a pro. And it's like, there, there's some genetic gifts there, right? <laughs> Slightly. And And I always knew that. I was never going to be world champion or any of those kind of things. It was a, 
a kind of a personal endeavor, a personal vendetta, so to speak, to prove to myself that I was good enough um, to be a professional, to make that next step. And there's a whole qualification process where it's not a matter of like running where you can just go sign up and be in the pro field. You, there is a, a literal qualification process. You have to finish such and such race by such and such time or place, or there's a whole different series of things you can do. Um, but that moment, it, I mean, it just took it all away. And in that it was crushing so much in part because I was having probably the best race I'd ever had and was on pace to assuming I continue, I was halfway through the bike assuming I continued on that pace the rest of the bike and ran what I could was very well physically capable of doing, I would have qualified for my professional license that day. Wow. Um, so, you know, it worked, but at the same time, I could say maybe I wouldn't have, we're talking, it would have been the deciding factor of a minute or two difference one way or the other, whether I would have made the spot or not. Um, and my coach said to me, you know, as we discussed it afterwards, if I had known that during the race, you know, if I had got to the run and, and known, Hey, I'm only a minute down. Like you, you can find that minute over a half marathon. You know, I've got, I've got the, the will to do it, but it was such a setback. I was off for, I think three months out of the pool. I had to have surgery because my collarbone uh, fractured down the middle. So it split in half um, was like underneath itself. And yeah, then instead a, of a clean a, break, right. And then a piece was also fragmented off and floating. So they had to, you know, cut me open and put it back together. And I still have the metal in. Um, they never took it out after healing. So, I mean, I got back to, I got back to training. Um, but there was just, there was just a piece of me that was gone. You, there's a hunger you have to have to put in that kind of work. And I was just, I mean, I was broken physically, but I, more importantly, I was broken mentally. Um, it, not just because of coming so close. I think it was a matter of, I just wore myself so thin and pushed my body so much farther than it probably should have gone. Um, that, you know, I just, I didn't have the heart to get back to the the half Ironman training anymore. So I, I continued to race, um, the Olympic distance, which is, I'm a more fan of, I like to go fast and, um, physically I'm better at the longer distances as far as overall placement, but, um, enjoyment wise, I like the shorter races. So I went back to that. And then since the pandemic shutting everything down, I really kind of stopped triathlon training. I'm still on the bike one day a week. Uh, I still swim one day a week and those are cross training. So I'm going back to running and kind of giving my last, uh, last hurrah, so to speak. Um, trying to work on my 10 K speed and hit some new 10 K PRs before uh, my body's incapable of hitting those good times anymore. So I'm in, I'm in my early thirties. So I still got a few years to, get it out before uh, I simply can't do it anymore. I know guys now in their fifties and sixties that are still out crushing it. So you've got a long oh, way to I'm sure to I go. can still do well, but we're talking, you know, yeah, you, you want know. to get your best times you can get. 
Right, right. And, and the 10K is my focus now because I didn't really ever get a chance to race 10K in college. So I, my best 10K times are from triathlons. That's what I was going to ask. What are your times for 10K? Yeah, so 10K, we're only looking like mid-35s. Okay. Um, and I should be capable – theoretically age catches up with you. I have a little weight to lose now. Um, but in college I should have been capable of mid thirty twos, but I'd say now if I could go mid to high thirty threes, that would be, I think that would be acceptable. Perfect. No, it's good stuff. So talk to us a little bit about your, your business and, and what it is and how it came about. It sounds like it was sort of born out of necessity. Yeah. So uh, Solpre is, I started it kind of with the long-term goal of just serving athletes. And I, I it came through the avenue of skincare. So I really like to try to have like a tagline. A long times I just say skincare for athletes. It's not really skincare for athletes um, because I'm want to do anything. And I can say that as I'm looking at product expansions right now, I'm looking outside of the skincare realm. Um, so hopefully that'll be coming in the next year. But it was, you know, as you read the bio, it, it, it kind of came through. I was swimming. I had this rash on my eyelid, which was very painful. Um, I consulted uh, Barb, who I mentioned earlier, Barb Lindquist. Uh, she was former pro in charge of USA Triathlon's collegiate recruitment program. I'd asked her, hey, you know, do you know what this is? Do you know what the deal is? And she had kind of thought, well, maybe it's just like, you know, the goggles had grown some something on them, fungus, bacteria, something, and you're getting it on your eyelid. Well, I figured out it was actually the chlorine I was sensitive to. Your eyelids are particularly sensitive because of how thin your skin is there. Um, so there's a, there's a fair number of products on the market that deal with chlorine, but unfortunately a lot of them use, uh, a synthetic chemical to deal with that. And though it does neutralize chlorine, the formulations that I tried from the other makers basically, uh, ended up burning when I was trying to apply it to that kind of red raw skin. Um, so I figured out there's got to be a better way. Uh, and it's pretty common knowledge that vitamin C neutralizes chlorine and nobody had really put that to use in a, like a shampoo type product yet. So that's where I was like, okay, let's make a, a natural for a better or lack of a better term. Natural is not really regulated. So we can always debate what exactly that means. <laughs> Right. Um, natural but, chemicals. Chemicals all are all natural. Right. It's like it's this is a this is a side diatribe, but just you know, natural is a buzzword. I like to say plant based because that's it's better. Like I like that better. Things, right. It's like the soaps and stuff are derived from coconut or they're derived from aloe. It's like, but they're still altered. So it's like it, it, I would say I would argue if you really want to say something's hundred percent natural then it's got to be like, I went to the grocery store, I got a coconut, I juiced it, you know, I put a mango in it and I rubbed it on my face. Like that's natural, but probably not effective. So anyway, anyway, um, yeah, so it's, it came from a place of let's try to find plant-based solutions um, that are good for skin that 
I say it's sensitive as, as kind of a, an umbrella term, but, um, you know, may not play well with more synthetically derived formulas. Okay. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So that's, you know, so that's a huge thing, right? I think, you know, dealing with that and dealing with the whole solution, I think I love that, right? The fact that you said, hey, this is something I need to take care of. This is something that's affecting me. And nine times out of 10, if it's affecting you, it's affecting others as well. Right, right. I, I think that's when people are looking for um, problems to solve, which is a good place to start. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you can scratch your own itch. And if you remember that um, as much as we like to believe that we're not unique individuals with problems that nobody else is facing, as long as you remember that, then you know, Hey, there are probably other people that would, you know, benefit from whatever solution I come up with for, for this problem too. So talk to us. So then you also have a podcast as well. So talk to us a little bit about that. It's very interesting, very compelling. Yeah. So the podcast is, you know, blatantly uh, um, a way to impart market the company, um, but also um, goes along with kind of one of my values, which is give value first. I try to approach entrepreneurship from that standpoint. So like, uh, you know, I have a running show called Runner's High, um, where I talk about everything running um, on YouTube, as well as the podcast, the Smart Athlete Podcast, where I try to interview people that have some smart aspect. And that could be, um, you know, other entrepreneurs. I've had a couple. Often it's academic researchers, um, could be pro athletes, but then also have an athletic side. So it's this cross section where I live of kind of interdisciplinary people. And I find that when people are engaged at a high level in their career, often research, startups, those kind of things, and also have an athletic side, those people tend to have pretty interesting thoughts. So we get to talk about anything from space exploration to, you know, wearable tech to, you know, gut microbiome. Um, it keeps me entertained if nothing, if nothing else. So. Yeah. What, what, what's your sort of tagline, you know, nerd athletes talking nerd athletes or something. Yeah. Like so that. yeah. Something I, that's, that, I try to figure out, well, what's the elevator pitch. That's um, perfect. You know, when we're trying to find people I say those nerdy athletes talking to nerdy athletes and it, it's, it's not meant in a derogatory way in any sense. It's just trying to say like, Hey, you know, there are those of us out there that have this kind of uh, brainy side that is engaged in something, but also like the athletic side. And that isn't to downplay. Um, I think football players in particular get a hard time about uh, being dumb jocks. And I wish I remember which guest, but I was talking to a guest about this in that, if you say if you look at pro football players and I'm in Kansas City so we have the Chiefs uh fortunately we're all finally on a <laughs> a good run here you stole it from us in New England of, so yeah years and years of <laughs> of bad bad runs um but I mean you look at those guys and you could say okay they're just a, a bunch of meatheads and it's like well no there's a different kind of intelligence to be at that level like there there's gonna be there's gonna be guys that are physically 
capable of some of the things that those guys can do, but don't have like the, the football intelligence or the spatial awareness and all, all these other things that we don't necessarily consider as smart. And they're not necessarily the right fit for my show because that's not what I'm focused on. But it's anyway, my point is to not take away from them because it's not a, the show is not a, you guys are dumb and I only want to talk to smart people. It's <laughs> no, I want to talk to people that are doing this kind of like research career focused thing. So, well, it's really easy to geek out now too with all the different tools, right? From power meters to whoop to right. smartwatches and everything in between. And that's, you know, and those are just wearables. And I actually had a guest on here who actually, built like an accelerometer that you could put on the end of a on a end of a bar for weightlifting right that would really tell you about all right how much is the bar torquing how quickly are you doing each rep because each rep it gets slower and slower it can say hey this is when i'm about to max out right so right. there's there is so much stuff out there with sensor technology that because the sensors are better, but I think we're at the infancy of a lot of this stuff and it's going to be it's going to be even crazier moving forward yeah, you know, I've had I've had a couple people on that uh, are on both sides of the coin. I've had one guest on who's actually uh, in a startup with wearable technology, um, and then also other guests that kind of build and use these apparatuses in their um, job, so to speak. I, I think I'm thinking of uh, Dr. Matt Jordan right now. He's um, part of the like Canadian olympic team pipeline um but it they i've had people on that side that say we simply don't know enough yet for all of these fitness trackers to be accurate right and then the op then the opposite side of the company is saying well we do have enough data to say all these things so <laughs> you know I, I would say i am simply not educated enough to say one way or the other what's conclusive but it is interesting um, that you have very well-read, very well-studied people on both sides of the issues saying, you know, complete diametrically opposed things. Um, you know what? I train by feel and I train with a watch yeah. and that's about it, right? And, you know, I've got a lot of people sort of in sort of, you know, the mid-40 demographic that are mm -hmm. all teched out. And it, I've tried everything. I remember when I was bike racing a lot, I would wear a heart rate monitor and everything. It screwed me up more than actually just racing by feel because it's mm -hmm. like, oh, I shouldn't be going this hard or I'm not going hard enough. And, and, and that type of stuff, when you feel like you should be going harder, but your heart rate's at 120, right? Or right. vice versa. And it's like, I feel like I'm in the zone and your heart rate's at 190, right? So I, I gave up on that um, in terms of all that, right? I really use, now I'll use a smartwatch just for pain and everything else but that's about it um because to me i get i like to trust my body i like to mm -hmm. see how my body's going to feel how it's going to react what's working what doesn't work and there's a lot of what i've learned is there's a lot of discipline in that as well of saying hey i'm gonna go for a run today or i'm gonna go for you know a session in the gym and it's just not working right and mm -hmm. it's just like no matter what the numbers say it's just not working right so turn around leave go home you know, grab a beer, sit on the couch could be the best thing ever for you instead of your five hour session you thought you were going to have. Yeah, no, I, I, I am a huge advocate of RPE rate of, rate of perceived exertion. And that's, you know, when I talk to the researchers that are in this kind of sports science field, 
they'll say, hey, we're trying to quantify all these things and we're trying to figure it out and we think we're getting on the right path. And then we come to this question and they almost universally say, but RPE seems to be the most reliable measure of anything we can come up with. <laughs> I will admit though, that having a, a power meter on my bike stepped up my, my cycling significantly, just being aware of where those zones are. Um, just, I, I never quite got the feel down perfectly with cycling. Running, no problem. Um, when I was running more, I mean, I could tell you, at least in college, I could tell you almost to within a tenth of a second where I was on doing reps on the track, um, you know, getting that in tune. I'm not, I'm not there anymore, not kind of running that consistently at those kind of things anymore. Um, swimming, you kind of have to get in that zone as well because there's no indicator. You can't just look at your watch and your right. reps. You know, you've got to rely on that. But, you know, much of what you said, maybe today should be the day that it, it everything's going right. You're just not feeling it. And your body will tell you. So I go back to, I can't remember who said this first. And I repeat it all the time. Um, somebody did a study uh, on pro athletes. I think it was pro runners. And they categorized them into three groups. Um, chemists, scientists, and artists. The chemists like to rely on potions, drinks, foods. Those were their like, you know, salvo. Those are the things that were going to make them great. Those are the things they relied on. The scientists want to rely on tech. So maybe it's a GPS watch or, or, you know, now there's power meters for running, whatever it is. And then the artists relied on feel. And most consistently, it was the artists that won races because they were in tune with, I can or can't push here and there. And they were more focused on that internal sensation than, well, I drank this thing or my watch says I should do this. And they were more in tune with what was actually going on with them. So I come back to that over and over and over when somebody says, I have to have my watch or I say, well, I understand it can be a good teaching tool in the beginning to learn, Hey, this actually is, you know, eight minute pace or whatever it is, whatever you're running. Then once you know that now let's focus on, well, what's the rhythm of your breathing? How do you feel? You know, how do your, how's the spacing of your legs as they hit the ground, all those kind of things. How does it adjust as you adjust paces and you're getting to learn those things. So it's, it's an invaluable skill. I think we don't focus on enough because we're so like instant results driven. Oh, a hundred percent. Right. And that's unfortunately or unfortunately you want the watch to tell you what, what you should be doing and versus it's like, Hey, let's take the time. Let's sort of go, you know, go in inward. And sometimes, you know, I, my favorite thing I trained with like a Casio G-Shock that doesn't have any of this stuff on mm -hmm. it, right? You know, which it's like, all right, here's my time. I'm going to go run for an hour and a half. And sometimes my hour and a half, I end up doing X distance versus Y distance, right? And it's like, right. dude, it's I'm feeling it today. Or sometimes like you're not feeling it today. And But there's a lot of times too, it's, you know, you're going out for a session, you feel like crap, and then you're just like blow it out of the water. So it takes, it takes a little while. And, you know, I've got 15 years on you. and 
you know, with age too, it takes, I think it's to the point now I'm, I figured it out. It's like a minute per your age for warm up to get to start getting to optimal performance. So it's, uh, that's when you can really start performing at, you know, 47 minutes here of, oh, all right, now I'm, now I'm loosening up. Now I can go. And most people's workouts are done by then, but it's like, Hey, you know, this is, but this is what you have to do in order to, you know, to perform yeah. in the right way. So, yeah. I think, you, I think it, it makes you not also focus on the externalities that can be affecting you. So like as a good example, I'm just in base building right now. So we're just building mileage, but I do have a tempo run in the middle of one of my runs in the middle of the week. And so I went and did that, but it snowed and melted recently. And the trail I run on was kind of muddy, still had some snowpack. And it's like, you know, I should be, again, there's that word again, should, I should be around six minute pace. Well, it ended up being, you know, like three and a half miles of tempo and it's a downhill uphill route. So you're always going to lose more uphill than you gain downhill. I ended up maybe like six, 12, six, 13 pace or something. It's like, okay, well, let's think about this. You got a muddy trail, you got wind, you've got 30 degree temperature. You know, like there, there's so many things that right. could make you add that 10 seconds on in, it, it didn't really matter. I mean, I time it for the sake of having that data, putting it in training peaks, communicating with my coach, but I'm not looking at the watch at all. During no, that you're in segment. survival mode. I, because I just, I just started. Well, I mean, even even when it's dry, I started at the beginning and I stop it at the end. I don't look at it at all in the middle because I only want to be focused on: Am I running an honest tempo? I don't want to be pushing myself too hard because I think I should be going faster. I just want to be at the pace I need to be at, based on where my body is at this very moment, and that's it. Awesome. No, Jesse, this has been great. We're coming up here a little over 30 minutes. Where can people find more about you? Where can they find your podcast, your business? Love to, uh, love to hear. So I don't do a whole lot of, uh, personal blogging. Um, but if you want to spend more time with me, you can check me out on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash soulpre. That's S O L P R I youtube.com slash soulpre or um, all of our posts are transcribed. So if you don't want to watch or listen, you can read them on the blog, soulpri.com slash blog, S-O-L-P-R-I.com slash blog. Awesome, Jesse. This was great. It was an honor to have you on the show. Really appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Keep running hard and run hard into 2021 here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ken. And if anyone has any questions, comments, or feedback, you can email me at Ken of the executive athletes.com. Go out there, keep making it happen. Keep going after your goals. Thanks for listening.